Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly. I'm your co-host Steve Stefano Mancini. And my name is Claudio Relsano and as always we appreciate you tuning into the show. All right Claudio, looks like we have a couple of guests tonight so as usual we're not ones for small talk so (laughs) I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's a good thing. We get right to it. We get right to it. You know what, I I, I get it but sometimes man you just want to say hey how was your weekend? Uh, Terrible. All right here's our guest. Anyways. Well you know what real quick I was telling somebody yesterday or maybe it was this morning, when you listen to a financial show, you don't want to hear that he had to clean the garage out. Or even some of these sports shows, which we don't mention, they talk about they had to change the diaper or their wife made. I don't want to hear about that. Tell me what's going on with the, you know, I'll listen to that another time for some other. By the way, I do show. not watch sports at all or, or talk shows. I'll, I'll watch like a, like a hockey game or something, but otherwise I really don't watch sports. But You know what? I was, We're going to get into that with our oh, guest. Oh, I was going to say, it's good because I'm, I'm, when our segue to introduce him is I'm going to talk about the talk shows because I had the misfortune of being in a restaurant that had all the TVs on all oh, the shows. God. I'm sitting there for now and I'm going, I don't get it. Terrible. Yeah. But with that being said, all, right. all yours. Very special guest today, somebody who I was fortunate enough to be interviewed at the Major League Baseball Winter Meetings in 2003, and, and that, that meant the world to me because I have some, such respect for our guest today. He's a Major League Baseball writer, advisor to Robert Morris Century Media, and uh, does a lot of, uh, what, independent writing, freelance yeah. writing, but in all honesty, the most respected baseball writer, uh, not just for me, but other people in in the business. When you mention this guy's name, their ears perk up. They have a ton of respect for him, and he's a great guy, and that's Mr. John Prado. John, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. I was out cleaning my garage earlier today. Oh, no, I, no. I don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, his respect is gone. No, no, no. no please no, tell no, me. No. How much uh, trash did you have <laughs> no, to sweep up? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what? When we were kids, we grew up with Stan Saverin and Myron Cope. Yep, and it was good, and you and yeah, they had the well. Myron Cope had his shtick, you know, yeah. but it was enjoyable. And I, mm-hmm. I, how about you? Who did you like back then? Uh, I like Myron Cope a lot. Kaiden, I, I listened to his show, Bruce Kaiden. Yeah, I was always a big fan of Bob Smizek's columns. Smizek's uh, columns. You know, but uh, you know, Myron Cope. I, I knew I was starting to make it in the business. My first year on the Pirate Beat in 1988 at the Beaver County Times. Yeah. And Myron said on his show, there's a really good young writer at Beaver County Times that covers wow. the Pirates. His name's John Parado. And I, that really stuck with me that it, to, for him to, to recognize who I was and to say that on the air is something that's always still one of the true highlights of, of my career. Well, two things. Did you ever tell him that? I did. Okay, yes, good. I did. And what, how about what about me with the with the the uh, introduction I gave you now? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's right up there. All right. I tell you what. All yeah. right, you know what? Let's let's get to it. We are all approximately the same age. We were lucky that in the '70s, every year in the '70s, some expert said that the Pirates had a shot to win the World Series, and then there was a little time in the '90s with the Leland Group, and then of course with Clint Hurdle. Now it is what it is. Your thoughts on the Pirates in 2024? Well, I would like to think the roster isn't totally complete yet because the way it stands now, I just don't see how they can be a contender. I think they're at least one starting pitcher short, and I think they need one more bat somewhere in the lineup. That being said, I did feel they made some progress last year. They, they won 14 more games than the year before. They went 76 and 86. They weren't a laughing stock, even though they had a couple of uh, bad uh, months. I mean, and that's kind of sad that that's the state of the franchise. That it, it's like a compliment to say they weren't a laughing stock. But uh, 
I, I do think that Ben Charrington's had a plan in place, and I think he's executed it. I think it's taken longer than the fans would want, and that's understandable. And I do think they need to, if not contend, at least try to get over 500 this year because this is his fifth year as general manager, and at some point you have to have tangible results. You know, I, Steve, before you go on, you, you talked about an arm. I would bring up Paul Skeens. I think they baby these pitchers. They, they you know, he's – I remember in 71 when Keith, Bruce Keeson came up, he was, what, 20, 21 years old, and he pitched in the World Series. Okay. And uh, Skeens is a number one draft pick. He's been through it all in, in college. I think they should have brought him up in all honesty in September. This way you get out of that – you, you you get him acclimated to professional baseball now, and you hit the ground running in 2024 if you say you're going to do what you're going to do. Your thoughts on, on Skeens? You know, I agree, and I, I thought they should have brought him to the big leagues last year, oh, even good. if it were just to pitch okay. an inning or two. Something. Just to, to get his feet on the ground exactly. get an idea of what life is like in the big leagues and exactly. what it's like facing big league caliber hitters. Uh, the Pirates are – want to be conservative with them and they have the reasons and I, I believe probably some of it's financial because <laughs> if they hold him down in the minor leagues for a couple months then he'll have an extra year before he can go to arbitration and become a free agent and they can say what they want about development but I think we know their track record is wh why they'll keep him down to like late May or on right. Memorial Day June 1st <laughs> But, yeah, I have to believe he's one of the five best pitchers in the organization right now for sure. And if you truly want to win and you truly are trying to be competitive, then I think he should start the year off in the big leagues. And like the only caveat I would say, if he did get hit around hard in spring training and did show, okay, he's not ready. But from everything that I've gathered, from everybody I've talked to, scouts, other executives, you know, people that that's college coaches that played against him co college players that played against him everyone thinks this guy is going to be an outstanding big league pitcher so if that's the case why not why are you wasting him in, in triple a or double a steve i want to make sure we're talking about the pittsburgh pirates okay <laughs> because this is my opinion and this is why we're on the radio here i think they're never going to be competitive under this ownership unless they get lucky because you and you kind of alluded to it when they start to see something, they're going to take the, they're going to take the low ball short out. They're, they're going to save the money over the competitiveness of the team, and that right there tells me you've got an ownership that doesn't want to, that that wants to win, but that's that's the secondary. I mean, and I get it; it's a business. We all want to make money, but I, I just I've been hearing probably for decades now that they're you know we're, we're, we've got prospects. We're going to trade for prospects, and you get somebody. Remember, remember the whole Garrett Cole fiasco. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like that that roster back then, they were they just needed again, to your point, they needed a couple of pieces, spend a few bucks, and I think you're going deep in the playoffs. What they do? They blew up the team. So, I mean, I'm I'm curious on your thought. You you, you based on the roster now, I can see that you're saying, hey, listen, they're developing, but what's the reality that if somebody gets good enough, he says, you know what, I'm ready for, for renegotiating my salary. Uh, I'll take $15 million. Is this Is this the ownership that's going to pay that kind of money to keep players, to keep a roster together? No. I mean, they, they've demonstrated time and again that they won't pay somebody $15 million a year. Uh, the biggest free agent contract they ever gave was $39 million for three years to Francisco Liriano, and that was a decade ago now, and they haven't surpassed it since. <laughs> now, they've given some of their in players that already were in the organization, like Key Brian Hayes, they gave him an – I believe it was eighty million dollars off the top of my head. Brian Reynolds got a hundred plus. So I thought million. he got a good salary. I yeah, 
But as far as going out and getting somebody from another team, even in the years when they were went to the wild card game in 2013, 14, and 15, they never made that big move at the trade deadline. It really could have pushed them over the top. And I think about, like, in 2016, the then Indians, now Guardians, it's just similar market. Cleveland, a little bit bigger market, but not appreciably better market. They went out and got Andrew Miller, one of the best relief pitchers in baseball at the deadline, and he nearly won a World Series for him. He was uh, exceptional throughout the month of October, and and they came with him one game of winning it all. But you never saw the Pirates ever make that kind of move. And I wonder if they get competitive again to the point where they're contenders in July. Will they or won't they? And past history says they won't, and that's discouraging, and that's why I think the fans and, and even you know myself, uh, I have a hard time completely buying into this right. until you they just, prove me you different. You keep seeing yeah. it over, and then you're like, all right, you're just not serious at some point. You said it right there. They're not going to go out and get a big-name free agent. So I always said, if you're not going to buy a new car, fix the one you have. There is some talent. Ja- uh, Sawinski is a much better hitter than what he's showing. Uh, a lot of those guys are better. The owner of our scouting company, James Gamble, said something that I repeat, and I think he's right on. Right on. I don't know if you agree. That's why I'm asking you. Coaches don't coach anymore. They monitor. Yeah. There's slight adjustments that, again, I, I bet my eyesight, my eyesight, my life, give me a half hour, me. That's why I say I, I've said it. These guys can't come close to me when it comes to teaching, hitting, or, or seeing a hole. Polanco. Uh, Cole Tucker. These guys are big-time athletes, and nobody's doing anything with them. You said, well, Claudia, Baltimore didn't do anything. Toronto, well, anyway, beside the point. It's very obvious what they're doing wrong. Why aren't they trying to fix these guys? I think part of it might be poor coaching and just people that aren't that good at their jobs. I, I mean, if you're the Pirates, you better – if you're not going to spend $150, $200 million so you're on payroll – you better develop players and, and while they're cheap and be able to keep them at least till they exactly. start to make some money in arbitration. And you have to do – Tampa Bay is a perfect example of this. Their guys come up to the big leagues. They're ready to play. And I tell you who's the best of all of it, and they're the, the most money of anyone, are the Dodgers. They, they, they develop players like a small market team is supposed to develop players. Uh, I, I think the development system – you know, they've, had, they've been in place, this is going to be their fifth year. Now, the first year, Charrington got hired so late because Bob Nutting totally screwed up his firing of Neil Huntington, waited a month after the season. Most of the minor league managers, coaches, and scouts were already under contract with other teams for the next year. So he was kind of forced being, talking about Ben Charrington here, of having to keep all his scouting staff and his minor league development people the first year because – there was nobody left to hire. They were all so. But now this is going to be the fourth year with this scouting group and this player development group. And at some point, you know, you have to see players other than guys that Neil Huntington brought in when right. he was GM <laughs> start to develop. And, and if they don't, then I, I think Bob Nutting uh, has to look at the whole organization from top to bottom, from from Ben Charrington on down. But but to, to your point, Claudia, also I think what happens now in the big leagues. So many players have their own personal coaches that they go to in the offseason, and even during the season when things go bad, they call them and go Mm -hmm. over videotape. And I think there's so much conflicting interest that the hitting coaches for the teams just say, I'm just going to, like, 
schedule them for batting practice and they do their thing because they don't want to listen to me anyway. And, you know, I, I think that's part of it. And I remember something Tony LaRusso, the Hall of Fame manager, told me this uh, one time. I don't know if you remember Colby Rasmus was an outfielder sure. for a few years. Well, he looked like he had a tough time with him. He did. And he looked <laughs> like he had a lot of talent. Like he could be a star player in the yeah. big leagues. And it never worked out. Right. And he, you know, and, it, and But Tony told me once, he said, Colby Rasmus told him, I'm never going to listen to you or my hitting coaches because only one person knows how to coach me, and that's my father. My dad, yeah. Yeah, so. But, but if it's not working, you know, just like if you go to Dr. Mancini and he doesn't, it's not working, I'm going to go to Dr. Parado yeah. until I get the guy that yeah. helps me. Yeah. And you know what, though? It, it, without going to a hitting lesson here, it's so common sense what's going, what's going wrong. And these guys, they, they, matter of fact, the bad thing, John, is – even some announcers, like they talk about Cruz, he was in a slump. Put your foot down sooner. That is a dumb thing to to tell him or get more hip rotation. That's like giving a diabetic sugar. I, I don't want to go into that too much. But some of the things you hear today, I have a notebook at home when Jim Palmer, Joe Morgan, Jim Rooker, McCarver a little bit, when those guys were on the air, I have a ton of what they did. I mean, uh, things that they – Billy Martin, whenever he did a few spots here and there. Now, zero. I mean, absolutely zero uh, that I take notes with these guys because it's absolutely brutal, and it's a shame. And, and real quick, I talk about the suits. Sid Thrift in 2003 when we did that interview in New Orleans, I saw Sid Thrift. The only time I ever met him, I said, Mr. Thrift, your book, uh, The Game According to Sid, is unbelievable. Common sense. And he says, thank you, son. He said, but I'm afraid that the young bucks in a few years are going to throw that or use it as a uh, coffee uh, tray. And unfortunately, it is with the analytics. And the suits do not know the game. Real quick, he, he goes downstairs, uh, Three River Stadium, Mike Diaz. You remember Mike sure. Diaz? Mike Diaz had a, uh, had a pension for opening up. Okay, he'd fly open, strike out, pull the ball for a home run. That was their pop-up. Sid Thrift very calmly went down there. He said, Mike, from now on, your field is the left center field to right field. That was it. He goes on a tear. I do not picture a GM now going down to the field in saying that, do you? I don't think a lot of GMs would know what you're talking exactly. about right now. And, exactly. And I will say the analytics, and, and I understand from a statistical standpoint that they do tell you some things about players. And I could see from a player acquisition standpoint where the analytics could help somewhat. But from a playing standpoint, and I think what happens is, you know, they get fed so much information, this stat and that stat, and this, you know, and all the, the Rapsodo machines and everything they hook them up to. <laughs> I think it's too much. Yeah, it is. And I think that guys, and I'm not saying baseball players are dumb because it's not, regardless of who you are, it's information overload. And I think those guys have had so much of this uh, information that they go into the, uh, into the batter's box and they're paralyzed because all they're thinking about is what the analytics people told them instead of just coming down to what basically it is, which is see the ball and hit there the ball. There you go. Exactly. It's like right out of Bull Durham. Remember yeah. that? It's a simple game. It you is. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you hit the ball. Yeah. It's not rocket and science. It is. No, but that goes into yeah. something we were talking about, you kind of alluded to initially. When we were talking about the pitchers and you, know, you talk about that pitch count, all of that, all of that stuff, and, and you know what it ultimately comes down to? It comes down to money. It comes down to money. It's like, how, how am I going to get the most bang out of my buck? And, you know, what's the, you, and so they're over, to your point, they're overloading with a bunch of numbers because you've got a bunch of people in the office that are all business people. 
Most of them, you know, Numbers nowadays, and, right? They're in, in the executive suites. They're all business people. They're not a bunch of former players. They don't know what to do. They're just thinking, all right, you know, I've got this player. We paid this. We got cap space. We got we got all these. You know, it's all numbers, numbers, numbers. Everything is numbers, numbers, numbers. And I think the truth is, I think you're seeing that in a lot of sports where the quality of the sports are declining, not because there's never been money and salaries into it, but I just think it's gotten so overboard that I, I see it in a lot of quality of sports. It's just, I mean, I'll even go to football, and I know we're talking baseball, but even in football, I watch a football game, what? I am bored. And two, I just don't think they're that good anymore, but besides the fact that they break it up every eight seconds with 20 minutes of commercials. <laughs> and, and baseball, I mean, they went to the, the speed the game up because people were just getting bored out of their mind. You know, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, what did they do before? Yeah. I mean, you, you tell me what, what. So why has this thing seems like it's going off the rails just in general? Am I, am I wrong on that observation? No, not at all. And I think baseball always tries to sabotage itself. When I say <laughs> baseball, I mean right. major league baseball, right. not every level right. of baseball. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they were bound in the term and they were going to cut time off games. Well, Here's one way you can cut time off games. Don't have five minutes of commercials every half inning. But they're not well, going to do touch that, that one. We'll speed the pitch count. Well, you, know yeah. you, you mentioned that. How about you warm up in the bullpen all that time? First of all, all these p- pitching yeah, I changes. I don't understand that. All these pitching changes are ridiculous. <laughs> I know where yeah. you're going. Remember they used to bring the, the buggy in? They sure. Used to dra- yeah. That. And then the other thing is warming up in the bullpen. Go on the field, throw your five, and let's go. I mean, if you want to cut the game. I didn't understand why they didn't even need to throw on the field. If you just warmed up, and I'm calling you out, okay, I'll give you one or two just to, okay, let me stretch it one last time. But I never understood that. And to your point, now we're going to go to a break of changing a pitcher. It's like, what's he been doing for the last 20 minutes? Now, obviously you do this for a living, but do you enjoy the game as much as you used to? No. No, it's it's just become, and I don't want to sound like the angry old man, get off my yard, because I'd like to think I've adjusted. Because I think I can do that job better than you, sir. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Get out of my studio. (laughs) I don't have anything against analytics in and of themselves, and I do think sometimes some of these exit velocities and things, they can tell you a little something about a player like, wow, that guy really hits the ball hard. He averages like 104 miles an hour off the bat. But I just think it has become so much analytics that it's taken the humanity mm. out of the yes. game. Yes. Like, yeah, you might have five guys that hit the ball 102 miles an hour, but none of them are, if none of them are team players, if none of them can play a lick of defense, if none of them have no common sense about baseball, if none of them know how to run the bases, what do you have? You have five guys that hit the ball hard, and that's all they do. Right. And one of three of them are bad guys. So all of a sudden you have five guys and three guys that are going to disrupt your clubhouse out of those five. I, you know, it's funny. And, you know, everybody says, how do the Tampa Bay Rays do it? How do they do it? It's all analytics. Well, it's not all analytics. Here's why the Tampa Bay Rays, who always have about the smallest payroll, have the lowest attendance, why they win, because your general manager or president of baseball operations, technically Eric Neander, told me a few years ago, he said, we never take humanity out of the equation. Mm. Humanity comes first. And we, we care about the character of players, too. Obviously, we want good players, and we want guys who score well in these different analytics. But he said, we want good people, hard workers, people we can trust. And they also have one of the biggest scouting staffs in baseball. A lot of teams have cut half their scouts or more so you don't have anybody ever going out and watching these players in person 
picking up tidbits about personalities of these players or anything like that. They're all watching the games on TV and, and watching video, you know, watching uh, you know video. And the Rays have one of the biggest scouting staffs, and they go out and actually watch players and actually find out more about their personalities and, and their work ethic and things like that. And, and I think that's why the Rays win as much as the analytics, if not more. Pirates this year, before we go on to some uh, Hall of Fame questions or some random things Steve may say, do you think there's a shot they are going to make the playoffs? I know you said about the roster now. Other teams improved in the division. Well, I think they can because, for one, the division's not really strong. There right. isn't that one team, and now Milwaukee just traded their best pitcher on top of it here the last few days. I, I think you look at Cincinnati, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Chicago, they all could be good, but I don't see any of those teams will say, wow, they're going to have a great Agreed. year. They're going to win like 92 games. I, I just don't see it. So I think the nature of the division being wide open certainly will help the Pirates. And I do think if they can make a couple of good moves between now and the season starts, you know, preferably before spring training, they can at least contend. I mean, just because the competition's not that stiff. And you look last year, the team that – the last team that got into the National League playoffs were the Diamondbacks. They only won 84 games. They were only – they only were three games over break-even. And they ended up going to the World Series. They won the National League pennant. So I don't think it's out, out of the realm of possibility. The Pirates only, I mean, they won, only won eight less games than the Diamondbacks. Right. So I don't think it's impossible. But, again, they have some work to do. And they're going to, like any team, they're going to need to, to catch a couple breaks here or there because they just don't have the talent or the money to just steamroll over everybody like the Dodgers will and the Braves will this year. Steve, some random questions for the best in the business. I got a good one for you. Let me ask you, because, again, I, I can't buy into the Pirates. Be, I, I've been following them since, you know, since I was can remember watching baseball. I'm, local, I'm a local person watching the Pirates. But I just have no confidence. <laughs> if you were in charge for a day and there was one move that you could make, what move would you make? I would go... Now, I know this time of year is kind of hard now because most of the free agents are picked over. But I would, I would go out and I would sign a significant free agent. And not just anybody. Like somebody obviously that would fit, would still have a few more years in front of, good years ahead of them. And I would show the people that, look, I really care. I really want to win. And I went out, you know, or we went out, and went out and got a quality player that can help us win now. And, you know, the Pirates have, have never really done that. Even even going back to the, the Galbraith days and, you know, the, then the public-private consortium that owned the team, they've never really – the closest they came, I remember, I guess it would have been 77, 78, they made a run at Pete Rose. Yeah, they offered him horses. Horses, yeah. (laughs) Instead of money, they offered him horses. Which I'm surprised he didn't take. Uh, Yeah. In retrospect, yes, I am. (laughs) Since since his name comes up, we're going to have some Hall of Fame people. Now, do you have a Hall of Fame vote? Yes, I do. For my 20, 50-year vote. I thought so. Mm -hmm. Pete Rose. I've softened my stance. I used to be a hard-line no because he bet on baseball. But when you have have, uh, (laughs) online betting sites advertising on Major League Baseball games – it's kind of hypocritical now to keep him out. The so-called 
in quotes, steroid guys. So the guys who are like Bonds, Clemens, A-Rod, you put them in. Yes, I do. I and here's the reason why. We don't know. There are guys in the Hall of Fame that I am sure probably used steroids and didn't get caught. So, I, I mean, you know, like you, I'll hear people say, like, and I don't mean to disparage him, but Frank Thomas. Although Frank Thomas never used steroids. Look at him. He was this big. Well, now he's on TV selling testosterone yeah. and all these supplements. So, <laughs> and he's still pretty yeah, big. And so. he still looks like he can yeah. hit the ball 500 And, and she'll like it, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, who, knew, who knows for sure? A couple guys got caught, and though there is a lot of circumstantial evidence with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, neither one ever failed a drug test. Yeah. Nobody ever saw them shoot up with steroids. Now, you could look at them and figure, well... There's a lot, but there is no, I mean, if you took them to a court of law and they took Barry Bonds to a court of law and they couldn't convict him That's because right. there was no concrete evidence. That's right. But my theory is I just vote for guys on the records. Like I vote for Alex Rodriguez and he did get suspended. Manny Ramirez got suspended. But I don't think you can erase the fact that Alex Rodriguez hit 697 exactly. home runs. You cannot erase the fact that Manny Ramirez was one of the great right-handed hitters of his generation. You just, it, to me, you can't pretend like they weren't there. You can't pretend Roger Clemens didn't win 355 right. games. You can't pretend that Barry Bonds didn't hit the most home runs of anybody in Major League history. I, I just don't think you can wipe that out. I'm with you. Well, so, I would add to that, too. It, they're probably not the only ones that use steroids. Yeah. So knowing that, I'm just guesstimating. Let's just say 30% of the league's using steroids. You're still the best. Yeah. It's not like it was just these four guys using. Right. In fact, it was probably a lot more people using. But because they were doing so well, they stood out. You're right, Steve. And I tell you what, you're probably conservative with 30%. I would. And that's probably why I would yeah. let them in. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't. You would let them in. I would let them. I don't yeah. like the idea that they did it. I don't. But either. at the same time. Yeah. They're all doing something. They've always been doing something. Professional sports and drugs and enhancement is not like this started in the 90s. Right. I mean, this goes back to probably the 60s Well, they would 70s. talk about amphetamines years right. ago and all that. We're using but, something. But the hitter, the hitter's going up against a guy who's on That's it. right. So, you know what? We're all in the That's same boat. That's why I'm boat. saying. It, 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 ironically enough, it ends up evening itself because right. now everybody's doing yeah, it. Exactly. So now you're all playing at a layer, layer higher. Two Pittsburgh guys. Al Oliver. And, and for me, if Baines made it, right? And Parker, if Jim Rice made it, Parker should get it. You know, the whole Harold Baines thing is open up a can of worms that you can pick a lot of guys that should yeah. be in ahead of Harold Baines. And that wasn't the writers. That was the Veterans Committee picked Harold Baines. And he, Jerry Reinsdorf, the uh, longtime owner of the White Sox, pushed hard for Baines to get right. in. And, and that, that, I mean, Harold Baines was a good player. Oh, he was sure. not a Hall of Fame player. And that has lowered the bar now to guys who got passed over out of hand like Al Oliver. I mean, nobody – now, he was off the ballot before I started voting, so okay. I never had a chance. On the other hand, I voted for Parker, I believe, his last six years that he was on the ballot, I, vo I was became a voter. So I voted for Dave Parker. I thought his career statistics were good enough to be in the Hall of Fame, and I think – from a spell there from about 77 through 80. He was the best. He was the best player in the game. And, I mean, he was an integral part of a World Series winner. He won two or three batting titles. Uh, you know, and after he had the drug problems, he, re he, he came back and was good again. He had mm -hmm. some good years in Cincinnati. He had a, a really big year in Oakland. And, and you know, he uh, – 
Well, I, I forgot all about he played in Oakland. Yeah, and, yeah. and they can wow. say about the drug thing, but I'm I'm pointing a name here to you right here, John. That's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. That was in trouble for drugs. He got absolutely. Involved. Yeah. And yeah. There's a few other ones. So, but I his author David Jordan, who I'm sure you've met him. Um, I have corresponded with him by email many times, but I've never actually met David. Yeah, really yeah. good guy. Um, when he comes to town, we'll try to hook yeah. up. But he said it wasn't. The the drug thing. He said something about the on base percentage and the war, and I was oh my god, you know th- these guys. Dave Parker in his day in that span was considered the best in the game. He deserves to be in, in my opinion. Steve. Well, I'm I'm we're all on the same board, so we all agree. So folks, if you're listening, we demand that you immediately <laughs> write to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, no, and, and you know no offense, Scott Rowland. When I see him. It, it just doesn't hit me, Hall of Famer. I didn't vote for him, and he was a real, he was a really good player. Yeah. But I never, in all the years he was in big leagues, did I ever look at Scott Rowland and think, "Wow, that guy's going That's to right. Cooperstown someday." He got a lot of support, and I know a lot of it. Uh, now you have a lot of younger voters that have their ten years in. They grew up with the analytics, the baseball prospectus, the fan graphs, those kind of sites. They put a lot of weight on those numbers, and Roland did score because of defense. And I think these advanced statistics put a little too much emphasis on defense. And Roland's numbers are great, those advanced numbers, because he was a, a very, very good defensive third base. Let me ask them real quick. I'm sorry, before we, because we're, gonna, we're getting low on time, yeah. but I want to ask them, you just made a good point there. Are the, are the advanced statistics going to change who's going in the Hall of Fame 10, 20 years from now? Absolutely, and I'll tell you who it really helped, and this is an old-timer, Ted Simmons. Ted Simmons yeah. b- barely got any votes from the writers, but over time, as these statistics developed, they showed, at least through the eyes of those statistics, Scott was really good, and people didn't appreciate how good he was. So I do think there are times when these advanced statistics can be good, especially for older players that you maybe weren't able to analyze quite as well. And it took Ted forever, and Ted's in his 70s, but he finally got into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. And it took Mazeroski years to get in. I think, what, 99, I think he got in? Yeah. John, we could talk to you all day, and uh, hopefully we get a chance to to do that. We'll talk about that, but uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Nobody knows more about the game than him, and uh, I appreciate you being on. Thank you. Claudio, Steve, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, we'll be right back with another guest, Ms. Karen Ianta, the president of Kennedy Schools. Thanks to Greater Pittsburgh Travel. For any of your travel needs, let Tom and the team at Greater Pittsburgh Travel know, and they'll take care of you. For more information, call 412-331-2244 or visit their website at www.greaterpittsburghtravel.com. For all of your plumbing needs, be sure to try Pellucci Plumbing. Nick and the team have decades of experience and will get you back up and running. For more information, call Pellucci Plumbing at 412-782-5050. And we want to thank the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. If you're interested in learning more, you can find their contact information on Facebook at Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Again, thanks Domenica and the team at the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh for your support. And we want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilei, the only nonprofit school in Pittsburgh endorsed by the Italian consulate. If you're interested in learning Italian, or have your children being immersed in the Italian culture and language, be sure to give them a call at 412-404-7070. That's La Scuola d'Italia, Galileo Galilei. We'd also like to thank Chris Gonzalez from the Knights of Columbus. If you have any questions about joining the Knights of Columbus, reach out to Chris Gonzalez at 412-605-9074. 
If you missed Italian Impact Weekly live on WKHB Radio, 620 AM, 102.1 FM, you can always listen to our archives by going to www.italianimpactweekly.com and hear such great guests as Mario Andretti, Vince Ferragamo, Chris Corciani, and Vince Papali. Also, if you want to listen to my show, The Claudio Relsano Show, I've had such great guests as Ken Griffey Sr., Rocky Blyer, Dick Vermeil, Roman Gabriel, Pierre LaRouche, Sid Bream, Jim Rooker. You can listen to that show on ClaudioRelsano.com. And if you're interested in sponsoring our show, if you need a commercial, we are great at that. We will read your scripts. We will do whatever we can to help you out. Please connect with us at questions at ItalianImpactWeekly.com. We are looking for more sponsors. So again, we have some openings, so definitely get in touch with us all right welcome back and we are joined by karen karen and claudia this is a let me get a little background how you guys met because there's a little story to this okay there's a long line to it somebody who it runs the boom boom mancini foundation maria metters great girl who is having the golf event that we are going to read a uh, commercial spot for may 18th for kennedy family schools uh, she connected me with this young lady who i absolutely adore her name's karen ianta she's the president of Kennedy Schools in Hermitage Township, or Hermitage, PA, not Hermitage Township. A wonderful person who I got a chance to finally meet last week. Karen, thank you so much for being on our show. So appreciative and honored. Thank you very much. Yes, we. I had a speaking engagement there last week. And uh, Karen, real quick, how, how did the kids, uh, how, after I left, uh, how was that? Was that okay? Claudio, all I heard over and over and over again, was how wonderful you were the staff the kids everyone it, it it was remarkable you you just did a perfect job sister margaret came in she had to come in at least two or three times to tell me how wonderful and how real you were and she was so thankful that you gave an accurate picture of what success really looks like because failure is a part of it too she, everyone was just so appreciative and I can't I can't thank you enough. You you just made the climate the the whole aura of Catholic identity and and you know your hard work and effort. You did exactly what I asked you to do and it was your life. So the reality of everything couldn't have been any better. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was wonderful. Wonderful. Now, you know, I wouldn't have asked her that. If somebody <laughs> <wouldn't have> said, <laughs> Please stop reading the right. script. Come on, Claudio. Karen, thank you. And I tell you what, everybody made me feel so at home. The kids were great. And sometimes the kids don't say two words or they don't say a question and answer. They yeah. were great. The staff, every, and, and again, Karen is wonderful. So, Karen, tell us a little bit about your career. I, I was surprised to say you that you told me you just started with him recently, but tell me what you did before uh, Kennedy. Okay. Well, I um, had my undergraduate. I went and, and had a double major, elementary education and special education, and then I just continued to go back. I was fortunate to have wonderful family my parents my sister my brother everyone you know i couldn't have done it without them to continue to go back to school and get degrees this and that so i um first went and got my special education supervision i worked at wilmington school district as a teacher then supervisor of special ed and i also have a home and school visitor certification which provided me with the opportunity to do social work and go in the homes and you know, see why kids were being absent, this and that. And then I went, um, got my principal certification. I was an elementary principal for 
four years, and then I went on to be a high school principal at Nishanik Junior Senior High School. I was there for about eight, nine years, and then, um, again, continued going back to school. And then I was hired at Hermitage School District, first as curriculum and instruction, and then as superintendent of schools there. So my entire, really, my entire life had been public education. And I had been retired since 2009. I went back as an interim superintendent at Reynolds School District for a year, came out of retirement. And then uh, right before COVID, the Shannick School District, they needed um, an administrator because someone had retired abruptly. So I went and I helped them out for two years and then retired again. And now here I am again working um, as the president. And I just felt, you know, my my priest had asked if I would just join the board and it would only be one hour once a month. (laughs) So I tease him now and I say, you need to go to confession because, you 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 know, you weren't truthful with (laughs) me. And it led to this. So here I am again. But I just felt like. For some reason, God put me here, you know. Sure. Well, you know when priests ask you to do something, yeah. it's never going to be what they tell you it's going to be. Because if they told <laughs> and, you the and, truth, nobody would do it. And you can't say no to That's your right. priest, right? So just tell me the truth, Father. What do you want? <laughs> How many hours? So tell me about my organization. Where are you at now, and what are you doing? Okay, I'm at, uh, it's called, the, 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 orig- the official name is Shenango Valley Catholic School System. It houses two schools, one at the elementary, St. John Paul II Elementary, and then we have Kennedy Middle High School. So there are two separate locations, and we have about 260 students, somewhere around in there. Um, great staff, great kids. You know, I'm, I'm really fortunate to be working with the people that I'm working with, and and seeing the kids again every day, you know, I, that's what I did miss. I missed the interaction with our with students and with the staff. So I am enjoying that immensely now. Karen, when you have, and by the way, I think you're absolutely perfect for this job. I, I really do. And, and I, I mean that because just the few months we've been talking, you are absolutely great with this and, and a perfect fit. But whenever you talk to a family, mm-hmm. what what is the thing that you tell them is the most important thing about a Catholic school education okay well i think what is paramount not only are the academics and you want you want to make sure they are prepared and you want to make sure the kids have what they want and you know i I could talk to you a little bit about what we're doing next school year sure but if you're sending your child to you know our catholic school that catholic identity that that is something that i feel is, is paramount and i said this over and over again you know being in a public setting and then walking into the schools now and being able to look at our statues of the sacred heart of Jesus and the blessed mother, hearing the prayers, being able to go to church with the kids. There's something that just enables you to have a peace in your heart. And that's what is prohibited from the, you know, the, the, the public schools. They're just not allowed to do this. So, you know, the faith that is strong and, what we want also, I want a transformational student when they graduate. You know, we can get them their diplomas and they can move on and go to college. But what you want to do is transform them into a leadership um, of service, of giving. And those are the kind of things that 
you know, with, with our, our ministry and, and all the programs that we have regarding just say for an example of, of Catholic schools week, how many times they were out in the community. I don't care if it was giving the donuts to the humane society or to the police, whatever it is, you know, it, 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 this was a time for us to give back our Thanksgiving drives, the toy drives at Christmas. It's unbelievable what, Sister Margaret does with the service and the leadership and how the kids and the parents and the staff and the community all come together for it. It's it's a beautiful sight to see. It really is. Karen, as you know, my wife has been teaching in the uh, Pittsburgh Diocese since 1991, and she's been in St. James mm-hmm. since 96. My daughter went through St. James. And even coming into your school, as soon as you walk in, like you mentioned the statues, I, I'm, I'm just saying what it is. I'm not insulting any other uh, institution, there's just a different feeling. As soon as you walk in, there's just Mm -hmm. a a different feeling and a good one. And and I'm with everything uh, you said. Steve? No, Karen, that's a good point. And you know what? And Claudia, that's a good point because I went to Catholic school all the way through high school. And um, I I will tell you that for a lot of people that are listening, you don't have to be Catholic to go to Catholic school. But you got to expect that you're going to be taught Catholic theology. It is a Catholic right. school. I think the problem is a lot of people that go there and say, well, I don't want to learn that, you know, especially, and I think a real failure is in the universities and colleges that are, quote, Catholic. Um, there are very few, and I used to teach at a couple of Catholic universities, and Catholicism just doesn't have the same allure at the university level that it does, you know, at the at the grade school and the high school level, because I think you're closer to the families. And if they're, if they're spending the money to put their kid in a Catholic school, then they're probably a little more serious about their faith. Or, to be very honest, the public schools are just that bad. So it's a, you know, it's a little of both. But the truth is, is when you put your kid in a Catholic school, you're expecting, you are expecting a better education because you're getting other people that are literally paying a lot of money to put their kid in a Catholic school. Um, Karen, I want to ask you, you know, the, the Catholic Church comes under, it comes under a lot of attack, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's sort of a self-inflicted wound in a lot of cases. How does that translate into the school systems? Because, look, a lot of schools and churches have closed. It's very mm-hmm. expensive to send your kid to a Catholic school. I mean, it's have no illusions. I went to, I went to Central Catholic, and I think, I think their tuition now is like 15000 or 14000 a year. Great school, fantastic education, but not everybody can afford that. How right. is all of this kind of society, it's almost like a backlash against the Catholic Church, have you, do you guys see that hitting you guys at all? You know, I honestly, since I have been here, I have not received any phone calls regarding anything like that. Um, and we had a situation, you know, where a, a couple of the, the, the priests had to go on a, a listing, not because it was founded, Right. Just because of allegations, but the church takes um, it serious. I think people are listening got to understand do. something. They take it they serious. Do. This, this Very is a, it, it is a it is a falsity to sit there and say the church doesn't care about this. Yes, you can talk about at the Vatican level, but at the local level, mm-hmm. if there's an accusation, mm-hmm. those priests are going to go through the ringer. Uh, go ahead, Karen. Well, I, I wanted to, I wanted yeah. to emphasize that because it was very important that you yeah. said that people understand that it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. If somebody says right. I, he looked at me funny, okay, we're gonna we'll check into it. You right, know? they do. They take it very serious. The bishop certainly put out a statement, and when he put out his statement, then I put out a statement attaching his, so that our our families knew 
and I, I believe the, the newspaper, everything. Now, I wasn't going to be the one, the expert to address anything, but I did give reference to if anyone had any questions, concerns, comments, who they would need to contact at Erie. But to say that, you know, I, um, I was bombarded with anything, no, I, I really wasn't. So I think people are understanding that our church is taking things seriously now. Yeah, and I, I, I believe that's yes. And and I and I think you know again, it's not to make the, the com- not to bring the conversation down, but it's to drive a point home that in, in, in and again, I'm I'm biased towards Catholic schools. I am a practicing mm-hmm. Catholic. I, I came up yeah. in the Catholic schools. I'm not going to sit there and say all of my teachers were wonderful. They're, they're, it's like any other institution. But I'll tell you one thing: I learned a lot of things in school academically that I still remember. I remember going into, off to college, and after I went, started school, I remember going, I already learned this in high school. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, it, it was like, mm-hmm. it was like a refresh, the first year in college, like a refresher course, and the other kids I could see were like, what's this? I'm like, oh boy, where'd you go to school? So, you know, not to bring it down, but I want to make the point is that, that Catholic education means something. You know, it's very important, and everything from the hierarchy in charge of the school, whether it's the laity, whether it's the you know the ordained, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, to the teachers, everything. There's a purpose in it, and the ultimate purpose is providing a Catholic education to make the students stewards, mm-hmm. so that when they leave, they go off and they are better, they are better educated, they can you know live those ideals that are hopefully being instilled in them throughout their education, which they will not get. In public mm-hmm. schools, you're going to get the bare minimum, and you're going to be shuffed off, and whatever you learned, you learned, and whatever you didn't, you didn't, and have a nice day. Well, I think that's, you know, as I said about when our kids graduate, I that's exactly what we want. We want that transformation in them so that they know how to make our society a better place to live. They're the ones that are going to be in charge, you know. And when the kids come back, you know, one of our um, – board members is an uh, alumni of Kennedy and he stated to me when he graduated you know he thought he was a pretty good writer but uh, you know oh, just okay not until he went into college when he had to do his research papers where the professors were complimenting him regarding his writing that he said it all fell back and in, in his job right now it all falls back onto what he learned at Kennedy so I think those are the things that, you know, we want to impress. And, and, and we have to do things better. We have to do because of the, the tuition, because of what we're doing. So, you know, we have a lot of things planned for next school year, God willing. Um, different courses of study, cybersecurity, more intelligence, doing some dual enrollment courses, working with Gannon University, working with we have a Linden Point here and, and Butler County Community College, Penn State. So I'm trying to get a lot of partnerships. We have a Hope Cap here, too, trying to get in the med field. I'd like to do some tracking, or I should say pathways, however we want to do it, computer, business, medical, um, whatever the kids want. I want to have it for them. You know, we can do the foreign languages via distance learning. But I need the certified teachers, the high-level sciences, the high-level math, so that they have the labs that they need. You can't do that on vis- visual learning. You can't do that. You have to be in a lab working with your, 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 your teacher and, and, and doing those labs together. So we have that for next school year. We're, you know, we're really excited about a lot of the changes that we will be making. So God willing, 
say some prayers. That's what I keep on saying. <laughs> well, Karen, I was going to ask you what's next, but you articulated that very well. So how can people, before we talk about the golf event, and I make a, another announcement about that, tell us uh, how people can get in touch with uh, Kennedy Schools and, and uh, register or find out more information about you. Sure. <clears throat> well, our website, certainly, schools family of schools you can get on there um we purchased let me tell you this claudia and steve we had a database that was extremely old and there was probably about seven thousand names in it but we were only under 20 percent of correct names or be able to reach anybody so we purchased what is called blackboard razor's edge they did the research. They're up to over 6,000 names now of accurate information so that we can now reach out to our alumni and help them, you know, and, and get them involved. Anything, what, what we're doing, we have a, another program called Redefine Ed. It's to help with tuition and financial aid, and anybody can do it. It's for, like, EITC money. Businesses can do it, and it really, truly is a win-win where your Pennsylvania school tax or your Pennsylvania income tax, excuse me, you can tell I want it to go to Kennedy or I want it to go to St. John Paul II Elementary, whatever, you know, and we're, we have a program that we're going to be doing with um, our parents and community members on Thursday, February 15th at 6 o'clock. It can be virtual or we're going to have um, certainly invite people in in the cafeteria if they want to come in together and do that. So any help that's necessary for tuition aid, I've been going through tons of grants. I want to get our tuition and help our parents, you know. Now, tuition is about $12,600, but for our high school kids, if you're Catholic, I think it's around $6,100. Non-Catholic is $6,700. And it goes down a little bit as the middle school and then at the elementary school, too. But there's a gap between what it costs to educate a child, so say it's $12,000 to educate. That's what the actual cost is. And say our tuition is $6,000. Well, then you have that $6,000 gap that perhaps that's what the parents have to pay. What we want to do is decrease that gap for the parents. And that's what this Redefine Ed is going to do. That's what when I am, am you know, writing these grants for financial aid and tuition aid for our parents, that's what we're doing so that we can help lower the cost, help lower that gap for our, our families and for any new families coming in. So anyone who wants to make a donation or a donor or help in any way, certainly our website is right there. And we would truly appreciate anything and what anyone can do for that, you know. Awesome. I appreciate it, Karen. By the way, you know, for the folks that are listening, you know, a little bit biased, but I would encourage you to donate because um, I was talking before when I went to Central and, you know, Central's not unique. Yeah. A lot of these better high schools, you know, they're in five-digit tuition. And, and a big challenge, especially in the, in the Catholic churches, there's just not enough ordained, you know, clergy. Like when I was going to school, and I'm talking, I went probably in the 70s and 80s for grade school, and then I went to high school, I think it was 86. You know, we still had brothers, a lot of brothers at the school. So, yes, mm -hmm. there were some lay teachers, but there were a lot of brothers. When those guys retire, y there's nobody to replace them. Then they've got to go out and hire faculty, and they don't have government money, 
you know, like manna falling from heaven. They have to they have to get the money to pay for the faculty through the tuition. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. So when you're asking why the why the tuition's so high, it's because they pay their own salaries. Unlike mm-hmm. you know public schools where again they just wait, well, hey, we need more money, we'll just tax you. You know, and mm-hmm. and so it's very it's very hard to maintain these schools because we just don't have enough ordained, you know, whether it's nuns or brothers or priests to go in there and teach classes so that the schools don't have to hire a lay person. And it's not that it's bad to hire a lay person, but again, that means you've got another, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollar a year salary. And the truth is the Catholic schools on average do pay mm-hmm. less because they don't have the funding to pay that kind of money the public schools have. But the reason teachers will teach at a Catholic school over a public school, in a lot of cases, it's going to be, one, the environment is going to be better. You're going to go in there and you're not going to have a bunch of, you know, just somebody off the street just running around. You're not going to have to worry about, you know, metal detectors, you know, at the entry. So you're going to have students, you're going to have families that are, for the most part, you know, dedicated to the faith. Doesn't mean you don't have problems, but they're going to have people that are dedicated to the faith. So it's a better environment where a teacher can actually teach and a student can actually learn and if the student doesn't participate and doesn't want to play along have a nice day unlike a public <laughs> school you. they just pass mm-hmm. you on i mean I, i've seen it I've, I'm, I'm by the way i'm a professor at robert morris university and um we'll have to talk offline about uh you're working with different universities and i'm also working with a nonprofit. funny you said razor's edge i we that's what we use and I'm that. sorry, I did not think it was intuitively obvious. It's a good program, <laughs> but it, it was it was a learning curve for me, and I'm not the smartest ball in the land. But uh, anyways, again, we want to thank you very much. Claudio? Karen, we're going to talk about the Let's Party for KC. That's going to be a four-person scramble at Tam O'Shantner Golf Course at 2961 South Hermitage Road in Hermitage, Pennsylvania, 16148. May 18th, uh, 9 o'clock, shotgun start. It's only $125. Uh, if you would like to register your force, and please email R-O-B-R-I-E-N at KennedyCatholicSchools.org. That is R-O-B-R-I-E-N at KennedyCatholicSchools.org. I will be there for sure. Or you can call Maria Metters at 330-559-8891. You're going to be there, right, Karen? Absolutely. All right, I'll be there. I'm going to try to get Steve to come, a few other foursomes, and uh, it'll be a great event. And we're going to do this commercial spot up until the week of the event. So uh, we'll definitely keep it going. All right. Thank you. Karen, you are the best, and I appreciate you, and uh, we will be in touch. Thank you. God bless both of you. I appreciate all the time you gave me. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Claudia, it looks like we had two good guests. Fun show. I, I think that there are people listening and go, wow, you had to talk about baseball. I don't want to talk about sports. Don't worry. We didn't talk about sports. We talked about the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know? <laughs> well, you know what? We talked to how many shows can go from baseball, pirate baseball, to Catholic, Catholic schools. schools. <laughs> Although I think a lot of pirate fans will be doing the sign of the cross. Oh, they're going to uh, so be. There's, listen, there's your connection. Listen, I'll just say it before we sign off. I, I just don't believe this owner is serious. He wants to make a buck. If he wins, he does, it's an accident. That, that's the worst part. And you can make more. He, the Pirate fans. Ex- if will, he filled that stadium oh up, he God. would make even more money. I don't understand what the what the incentive is to not spend a few more dollars. Think of the return on investment. I just don't get it. And no fan is, in my opinion, the Pittsburgh Pirate fans. They, well, they will pack. Despite that how bad they, that team they is, they still it. show up. That's right. Now, usually yeah. it's really about what about towards the end of July, August, when it's just really when everyone's like, eh, we're done, and it kind of peters yeah. out for maybe a Friday night or a Saturday night. But 
weekdays. You bring a winner, see what they do. Exactly. Look what they did under, under the hurdle years. I just they, don't. They, they, yeah. That place was shaking, literally. I don't get shaking. it. No. Anyways. Hopefully. All right, folks. We're going to be signing off here and hope that you're going to be back next week to join us. But, Claudio, I always like to give you the last word. Thank you, all the listeners. Steve, I never thank you, so thank you. Thank you, John Prado and Karen Ayanta. And, as always, thank you, Mom and Pop.